Hey, Boo. I'm Deanna. And I am Elvia. And we've been besties for over 15 years. That's right. And welcome to the Bestie Bestie Bone Bone Podcast, where we're going to be giving you guys all the tips and advice on the things we wish we would have learned when we were younger. From relationships, like living with your man, girl, I complain, complain about it all the time. She sure does. Or talking about that single life and getting your flirt on. Ooh, honey. You trying to find that guy to make your corazón go beady beady bomb bomb? Yeah! <laughs> that's good. But that's not all. We also are going to be discussing so many other topics like career highs and lows. To wellness because we all need a little namaste. Ooh, yes, queen. And we're going to be joined by some of our expert amigas to cover all these topics and provide you guys with some practical tips to live your best life. We sure will, girl. Please join us and be part of our amigahood. You don't want to miss us being our best and most blondie selves because we're so blondie. <laughs> okay. Okay. Please don't forget to subscribe and we can't wait to hear from you. everyone to the bestie bestie bomb bomb podcast we have an exciting episode that Helvi and i have been waiting for and are thrilled about especially coming off of a debate night so lots of good stuff um and we're really excited right girl yes um so i want to so excited yeah, yeah i want to introduce everyone to our incredible guest today that i feel so honored um by and I've been graced with through a nonpartisan political organization that we are a part of. Welcome, Danielle. Hi, y'all. Thanks for having me. Yes, we are so thrilled. Girl, we got all the questions. <laughs> Shoot him. We can ask this and this. But we. I know I saw when I looked at the questions, I was like, okay, we're, we're going. <laughs> yeah. I had to do my homework. Yeah. So before we jump into all of that good stuff and we know all the amazing insights and your thoughts and feedback, I would love for us to start with an introduction. So tell us about yourself, your background, where you grew up, and how you ended up interested in um, politics, specifically in the school board education space. Yeah, no, that's a great question. It's kind of, I think, um, before I jump into it, I think it's been my life's purpose, like you know, following my like passion and my life's purpose and kind of just my joy. Um, and it's taken a long time to get here. So I grew up born and raised in the Inland Empire where I'm running for school board. Um, I'm running in the district that I grew up in. And actually, um, the district that I'm running for has two of the three schools that I attended in Redland schools. And I kind of have a roundabout journey to politics. Like, I've always had like an affinity for children, but I had an experience when I was about 11 and, you know, I was pretty precocious. <laughs> like, I was, you know, and I like, I was adamant between fifth and sixth grade. I needed an internship. Like I was like adamant that I needed already to be working. And so I asked my mom's best friend, who was a teacher, like if I could join her in her class that summer, cause I was kind of just bored at home. Like it was like pre Wi-Fi, um, you know, like, and I was like looking I remember thinking, like, if I'm going to get to college, I'm a first-generation college student. I was like, if I'm going to get to college, I need to start now. Um, and so I volunteered with 
PMAR that year. Um, and I volunteered all throughout middle school every summer. Um, but that first year, I she asked me to read with two of the boys. And one of the boys, like, ha- they both had kindergarten reading levels. And one of the boys kind of, ha- you know, would go back and forth between Mexico and um, the school that he was at. And so, you know, I would read with him. And it was cute to, like, just walk somebody through that process and have them feel comfortable being vulnerable with you and granted I'm 11 so we're both like kids and the other kid Christian I remember like um he was the same reading level but he was a little more advanced in his like sentence structure and so we would just read and then we ended up just kind of like hitting it off and I remember he had like a Pokemon on his desk so we were just like talking about it and I was just like trying to get to know him and he uh was like oh it's my birthday soon and I was like oh cool like how old are you turning and he literally was like I am gonna be 11 and you know that my aunt taught third grade so I had this moment where I was like why is Christian the same age as I am but I'm going to sixth grade and Christian's in third grade like and you know it was a very innocent question my aunt did such a good job of like walking me through kind of educational inequity right at that moment And then I went to Yale and I was like tutoring in New Haven public schools. And I was like, wait a minute, what the heck is going on here? Like my tutorees, um, Dream and her friend, like we would do math, but like we'd have to look for the math textbook. Like a lot of it was like, I would just start copying down like problems for them so that they could take it back home um, because they didn't have a textbook back home. And I just thought like, what is going on? Like I saw this with Christian and I saw this you know, with my cousins who went to a different school district. And then I'm looking at this and seeing it with, you know, these two wonderful high school students that I'm tutoring as a college student. And at 19, I just felt like, what the heck is going on? And so it was really that why that kind of drove me to teaching. And, you know, in true Yale fashion, they, we didn't have like a school of education. So I couldn't like you know, deep dive into my teaching craft. So I I ended up teaching after college on the Navajo Nation. And I thought that was going to be, you know, where I stayed. I thought the classroom was going to be where I stayed for a lot, large part of my life. And, you know, life kind of, you know, like life kind of nudges you in ways where you're there. It's kind of like, you know, that is the right path, but it's not quite the right path. Right. Um, Yeah. And so life kind of did that. Like, everything went wrong. I wanted to stay a third year, but my alternative teaching licensure, like the state policy had cut it off that year. So I couldn't, Um, you know, my school, like I worked at a a school in New Mexico on the Navajo Nation in a district that was the lowest performing district in New Mexico at the time. And we we were the 49th state in education that year um, when I was there. And those those couple of years I was there. So I was like really teaching, and learning about the depth of educational inequity in the United States. And I had like a superintendent that did this thing where he, the district was about 200 mile radius. It was a rural district. And so he would move principals from their home community about 200 miles across the district in hopes that the commute, like during the commute, it would be too much. So they would like quit. So he didn't have to pay severance packages. And then I just had a couple of wild experience. I know, isn't that crazy? And I had, like, a couple of wild experiences where, like, on the reservation, like, when we talk about criminal justice, like, all those cases get handled immediately by the FBI because of, you know, the treaty law. So I just was in a very interesting place, like, in terms of laws and policies. And I, like, was like, okay, well, I can't teach. I'm going to I'm gonna go back home and I'm going to go hang out. 
um, and try to figure out what I want to do. And so I think it was that experience teaching that really, you know, kind of made me question like, you know, not just why educational equity, but like, where does ed policy fit into all of this? Like, who's making the decisions? And like, why are they making them the way that they are? Um, And I spent that year back home, just kind of underemployed tutoring, working less than 20 hours a week and like applying for jobs and literally trying to get involved in my local like democratic parties and just trying to like see what that process is like. And I couldn't find the meetings like, and I had never been politically engaged back home because I had never had a, I didn't really understand how to, Um, you know, I could perform well in school, but I didn't, you know, talk to an elected official that like served like my family until like November of 2019. And like, you know, when I say like, I tried, like I'm, you know, I went to Yale, like I definitely tried to like, just understand the political process. And then I you did do what you do best when you don't know what you're doing with your life. And I went to grad school. <laughs> um, and I ended up at USC, which brought me to LA. And it was actually in Los Angeles where I kind of found you know, a group of people who wanted to be as politically engaged as I was, but also that were so open to like allowing me to be politically engaged in the process. Like whether that was groups like Latinas Lead and canvassing and vote, you know, and phone banking for candidates, or it was just like attending meetings and like, you know, listening to what people had to say. Um, I found that the political process in, you know, one of the largest cities in the U.S. was a lot easier to navigate. And I found myself kind of coming into my own there politically and and kind of by happenstance, like I just happened to meet the right people. Like I just happened, you know, to to form relationships with people because I was coming at this from like a, a learner's like mindset and also like a, I think I was coming at it just from like, I was super naive, like everything was super new and it was super exciting. And I found myself working at the Board of Education for Los Angeles Unified um, as the director of organizing and policy. And that work was so meaningful to me because I finally felt like I had the tools um, to really create policy with community and like lead our parent organizing initiatives and make sure that like, you know, people like my family and people in our school systems and our parents and our students really had a voice at the table in ways that I hadn't really had my whole life. And I know my students didn't have when I was teaching. Um, And it was, I think this is really empowering process. And then when I got the opportunity to move back home um, a little over a year ago, I found myself in that same process of, you know, not knowing where the meetings were and looking for them, you know, like trying to understand like what was happening, just trying to understand who, like how I could get involved in the way I'd been involved in LA. And I just, you know, door after door, I felt really, I felt really disempowered this last year. And then seeing my 13 year old sister navigate, you know, some of the the racist incidents in our schools, like kind of prompted me to run for school board. Like I'm, I'm out here for the long term. I want to be with my family. Um, and I should be able to still be politically engaged. And so, you know, it ran a very roundabout way. That's like how I ended up in politics and I'm still here. (laughs) Wow. That's wow. It's an amazing story. (laughs) I'm like, okay, mic drop. Our conversation's over. Bye. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, this is it. This is the podcast. (laughs) No, it's just such an amazing story. And I, I, um, I found myself so many times, even like, finding connections a lot in even my own experience. Um, I did city year 
I don't know mm. how much you know about me, but um, I did city year and I worked in a, in um, Watts here in South LA. And I felt a lot of, I feel like that was the first time I really thought about education in that way that like education is not the same for everybody. And it sadly depends on what zip code you live in and what resources you have that go towards the schools there. And I remember being, you know, in a sixth grade classroom and I'm going over multiplication tables with sixth graders. Mm. And, you know, I remember, you know, learning those in third grade and having to memorize them. Um, And I was just like, wow. I was like, why is it so different here? And as I did city year, just, you know, learning a lot more about the, the, um, inequities that existed exist I should say um in education today and it's it's literally I haven't lived in Inglewood all my life but I live in Inglewood now and it's literally 15 minutes away from my house and I didn't I I never like realized that so it was such a eye-opening experience and it is what made me stick with education because I am very passionate about closing those gaps as well. I, I mean, I work in higher education now, but um, it's very much a lot of the work I do now is very rooted in, you know, what I learned in my time with City Year. So I yeah, definitely... It's crazy how- feel a lot of what you just said yeah it's crazy how like this experience like I go back to my teaching experience all the time in city year um I have had friends who who did city year as well and mm-hmm. you know it's it's the same experience mm-hmm. um so I feel that 100 percent yeah Girl, I have I, I have two follow-up questions but before <laughs> I get into that I just wanted to just say I mean I just bowed down to like people who see inequities and want to do something about it, knowing that whatever that looks like is going to be a lot of work. So I just applaud you for, for, you know, stepping up for, for all of us, you know, for our, our future generation, for current kids, future generation kids. I just think it's so incredible because um, to feel empowered, like the only way there's going to be real change is if, you know, I, I get a chance to get a seat at the table um, especially as a woman of color, I just think that's so incredible that, that you're like, you saw the inequity, you dealt with it, you had it firsthand as being a teacher and you decided, I, I need to do something. I just think that's so cool. Um, I wanted to say that I, I mean, I've always been an advocate of education and I, I probably haven't seen it in either capacity, but I used to recruit for CSUN mm. and it was like my first job. I had like a prima in the system. She's like, girl, I'll hook you up. And I was like, see, prima, I need money. <laughs> <laughs> I need a trabajo. And she was like, yeah, you know, you would be great. You can be our essentially like an ambassador. And she's like, but Deanna, I'm going to send you to some of the worst high schools in San Fernando Valley, meaning they have the lowest rates of graduation. And I was like, yeah, yeah send me there. I'm going to empower all of them. They're all going to go to college. <laughs> and I, and that was the first time I ever got a glimpse and I realized the inequities. Um, and just, you know, that was my first, I guess my first time I ever really saw it and felt it and understood it. 
you know? And I was like, yeah. whoa. Not that I didn't know it before, but you, you don't really know it until you're in it, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was really the first time I, I really understood it. Um, but I want to ask you, and this may be off topic, that and Elvia, I'm curious if you've ever felt this way, girl. I don't think we've ever talked about this, but when I was applying to colleges, you know, I feel like I was all all about it. I wanted to be, I wanted to be a change maker. And then, but when I started applying to schools, I applied to schools that I either thought I would get into or maybe were a little bit above me. Um, but as a Latina woman growing up in Inland Empire, like how did you feel the confidence to go to like such a big name school? Like, I don't know, I just think. I, I I feel like I never even considered Stanford because I was like, I'm not going to get in there, you know, like, or any of the big schools because I was like, no, I'm not whatever enough. And I just like, I don't know. I'm just curious. Yeah, no, that's a great question. Like, one, I want to say I didn't really have the confidence. I actually, um, I like, you know, when, and I don't know about both of you, but when you're first generation college student, I tell people this all the time, like, that process was scary. Like, I remember moments in high school and middle school just, like, hyperventilating because I was like, I don't know anyone that's, like, doing it, doing, going to a four-year school, right, off the bat. Like, I don't even know people finishing college. And, like, I think I had, like, a lot of, you know, I'm a little bit of a perfectionist, so there's that. But I had a lot of anxiety around it. And I remember the college application process. I think I was just super overwhelmed. I I was just not in a really good headspace. Like, I think I had, like, you know, some mild uh, depressive symptoms. And I remember just telling my dad, like, applying to all of the schools because I was like, well, my mentality was, like, go big or stay home. <laughs> like, I'm going to, like, shoot for some of these big name schools because I, I have no idea. And then I I was ha- very happy to stay, like, at, like, some of the sc- or more local schools, like the Claremont Colleges. Like, I because I really didn't know, like, but I knew I – I loved California and I knew I loved being with my family, but I knew like some part of me just needed to shoot big. And so I remember asking my dad, I was like my Yale application. And I was like, dad, I don't really want to do it. It's due January 1st. It's literally December 30th. Like, you know, I don't even know if it can get this done in two days. And like, you know, it's like the money aspect of it is a lot. Like my mom was always like, you know, make sure like, you know, we, can't afford that many colleges for you to apply to and I was like um I was like should I just do it I was like it's it's a lot I was like trying to talk myself out of it and my dad gave me really good advice that I always give to like people like uh, you know like in our shoes which is like my dad looked at me and he said listen there are very few moments in life where like that are like this so like if you don't do this application, you're already telling yourself no. But if you do this application, no matter how good it is, and they tell you no, like, that's the same result as, like, you dropping out. But, like, you don't ever know, like, when they'll tell you yes. (laughs) And I was like, okay, like, let me just get it together and, like, let me submit it, like, a couple minutes before the deadline. And it was crazy to do that because, you know, I didn't, I didn't know what was going to happen. Like, I just kind of let it go and let, like, it let it be. And when I got my acceptance into Yale, it was, like, my dad's birthday. Like, I've never made so many people cry. (laughs) Like, you know, my dad finished college in 2016. Like, um, you know, me and my dad were really going to school a lot of the time together. Um, And my parents were teen parents. So I just felt like, and my grandparents were teen parents. So I just felt like everyone felt like, you know, all the sacrifices they had made. 
um, were really worth it. And like this culminating moment, I think was was getting into Yale. But to say that I was confident is like definitely not the truth. And like even afterwards, like getting in, like I had people at my high school stop talking to me. I went to predominantly white high schools or white schools. Um, I had a teacher try to convince me not to go. <laughs> wow. Yeah, just oh like. God crazy stuff and I in a, you know that did carry me into my college experience of thinking like well am I just you know am I just being let in because of being a Me- I'm a Mexican-American woman like am I good enough to be here and I had a lot of I think deep soul searching to do and just thinking like you know like I I don't know if I ever thought like I was good enough to be there but I always knew that like I was there I was going to make the most of it and like I was going to get that degree. <laughs> mm-hmm. I was like, C's get degrees is, is my motto here. Like, <laughs> let's go. <laughs> like, and it, like, it was cool. It worked out. And my family, I mean, I think what was like nice about it is my family was like, yeah, if you get all C's, we, we won't even care. And I was like, great. <laughs> like, because that's where, um, you know, one of the most relevant topics right now um, around our election is the importance of voting and getting out there particularly in our community and the power that, you know, our community has in elections, Um, especially amidst all the local elections. Can you tell us um, and walk us through the differences and how each of these impacts our daily lives? Yes, I love this question. Um, I did this with, I had second graders do their own policy. I went to a career day and we made our own policies around like a cookie policy in class. Um, but <laughs> this, so <laughs> it was so cute. I mean, they get it. Second graders understand. They understand policy. Um, and I think like that's, I and I bring that up to say that like, I, that's how easy policy can be, right? And and voting is, is a part of that, that whole system. Like voting is pretty... I mean, literally, the act of voting is pretty easy. Like, you mark a you mark a little bubble and you send it in. Um, in this case, in mail-in ballots, you go to the election polls. I think, you know, where it gets complicated is, like, all of the policies. But I wanted to uplift some, like, data that I looked at around people power of the, the people power of the, or Latino people power, right? Like, the of the Latinx community. And so the Pew Research Center um, had some interesting statistics around Latinx voters. And... So in this election, there's projected to be about 32 million people or Latinos who are eligible to vote um, just in this 2020 election. And what's really interesting about this election is a lot of the local level races are aligned to this presidential cycle. Usually what happens is like the presidential like race will happen and you'll get some propositions and you'll vote from some state assemblies. But a lot of, especially in California, a lot of municipalities and cities have actually decided to put all the candidates on the same ballot from president to your water board so that you vote down ballot. And so I think when we think about voting, when, one thing I want to lift up is like, it, if you vote at the, and you stay at the presidential election and you don't vote for the judges, if you don't vote for the city council people or the you know board of supervisors or your school board people, like what you're actually doing is a, a disjust, uh, um, injustice (laughs) and injustice Mm -hmm. down the ballot um and so what's cool now in california is that instead of there being a race in june and in november and people just opting out to vote in november like we're having it kind of solidified to like one or two votes a year as opposed to like the many we saw before um 
And so I think that's super interesting when we think about states like California. So there are like five states that hold two thirds of all the Latino vote in the nation. Um, California being one of them. And California has 25% of the US Latino vote. And I think this is interesting because in a state like California with 25% of the Latino people power and the Latinx people power, what we're not seeing is that represented in different levels of government. So like for instance, our state legislature is about 55% um, people who identify as white and about 23% of our state legislatures identify as Latinx. Um, our population of California is 39% Latinx. And so there's this mismatch between, you know, like who lives in California and then who represents California politically. I know in San Bernardino County, um, a lot of the city council, a lot of the uh, county board of supervisors and a lot of like the other different commissions and boards are predominantly white and like predominantly male, right? So, and, and it just brings this question of like the voting base, like we, I think as a community need to get to the ballots when we're able to, and when we're not able to, you know, participate in the democratic process, make phone calls for candidates we believe in, um, you know, in a, in a non-COVID time, like uh, canvas for candidates but we believe in, and also do that for like propositions we believe in, also do that for, you know, laws and policies and bonds at the local level that we believe in. And so I think this is really important because I think when we organize as a, like a lot of next community, like we see that we're pushing in candidates that the political establishment is not endorsing. They're not giving money to. And these candidates are winning because we're as a, as a race are being activated. Um, and I see that in my own election, like so many people have donated to my election and told me like, I've never donated for a political candidate before, or like, phone banked for me and been like I've never phone banked for a candidate before but I think when you have candidates you identify with you have candidates that make you feel comfortable you have candidates that like see you as a human like I think people are more likely to be activated and so I see that I think when we talk about voting and like the importance of voting like I think there's a lot of different thoughts there but like that's kind of where I'll leave us girl I have to tell you this first of all it's I guess it's just so incredible and really, there is so much power in the numbers. I mean, we really are a powerful group of people, and I really hope we turn up and turn out. Yeah, no, we need. To, I was like, we need um, to treat it like it's a Sunday, and we have Granada at the park. Like, go and go. <laughs> <laughs> turn up and turn out. Yes. I want to say that I think that we often think about elections, and, and we think about the presidency, and most of us maybe turn out for that if we're eligible to vote. Um, but we forget about what impacts our daily lives, like when you park and, and you have recycling bins and la, la que tienes en tu jardín, right? Like whatever those things are, your property taxes, those, that's all affected at the local level. So most of what affects you individually isn't really at the national White House level. It's state government. And I think we get lazy about that. And I think it's because we're not as informed. I don't know, there's not as much emphasis on it. And I'm just speaking from my own perspective. Like, I don't know, do my parents vote on like their, do they even know? Do I, I don't even know who our elected officials are in, in the city that I currently live in or when I was growing up, who they were, you know, or what mm -hmm. they did, right? Even though that's what affects your daily life. And so I just, 
I'm glad that we're talking about this because I want the election. Obviously, it's really important who we elect in in power when it comes to the presidency. But it's also even kind of not more important, but a different kind of importance that impacts you more regularly on a local elected level. Yeah, I think you're totally right. Like you hit the nail on the head. Like literally everything that we care about, like our clean streets, like our air, like that's controlled at the local level, literally the city or the county level and then the state level. And I think, you know, that's important. That's why it's important to vote down the ballot. That's why it's important to to vote for these smaller positions and getting people who represent your values in these positions. Because, you know, sometimes policy, you know, I like to say that like policy creation and policy stances don't like always reflect values, right? And so like, if you want somebody who is thoughtful and inclusive and, you know, like they don't really, they don't have to sit like a lot of these races are nonpartisan. So they don't have to sit within a party, but they do have to represent the way they do policy and the way they do community engagement, I think has to represent your values, right? Do you want someone who's going to listen to you? Do you want someone who's going to like take the time to connect with you? And I think, you know, there are certain characteristics across parties that I think all elected should have because you're literally responsible to the people. That's your check on power. And so when you don't respect the people, then we, that's when we see like corruption in our cities. That's when we see our services not getting delivered properly and that's when we see people who are apathetic about giving us our county services because they don't think that our people power is activated mm-hmm. I think that's a great segue to my next question for you when we hit the polls we're not just voting on candidates so we talked about sort of voting at the local level right and or voting you're going to be voting presidents and you're going to also be voting candidates at the local level but you're also going to be voting on propositions, um, which I'm, we're all getting bombarded with <laughs> currently and ads, right? Say yes to this prop, say no to this prop. Can you talk about how we can get more informed about these propositions? And again, how important these propositions are to our um, local neighborhoods, to our daily lives, because they really, truly impact um us at a very local and more personal level yeah they impact everything I'm gonna I want to tell us a story then I just want to tell us like the way in which ballots are created and like why in California I think they're super important so like the ballot initiative process is a way for citizens in California like the people of California to propose laws and amendments to our California constitution that the governor or any state legislature won't put up in the legislative cycle right and like a governor won't make an executive order on. So like they're really important as like a people power check to policy making. And, and I say that as like, if we are not satisfied with something that is happening at the state level, like this is our chance to create a law and bypass the whole system. Um, and so they're really important and symbolic in that way. And I, and just to like illustrate, like to show the impact in I don't know if y'all remember this, but California Proposition 227 in 1998, like I was a baby. I was maybe like in in third, fourth grade. Um, It was the English Language and Public Schools Act and it was on the ballot. And one guy who was a millionaire decided that because of his experience as an immigrant in our country coming from Russia, like, well, actually, I don't know what country he was coming from, but he he was an immigrant in our country. And he decided that 
So what he wanted for public education in that in this proposition was that all students who are dual language learners who are learning English in our system would only do that instruction in English only. So he passes one of like the country's like foremost prominent English only laws and this bans bilingual education in the state of California. And so, yeah, and it doesn't get like overdone until overturned in like till like 2018. Like, and so, mm-hmm. you know, he decided that he was going to go through this ballot process, put it on. He ran a really good media campaign around it and actually convinced people that English only classrooms were the way in which our students who were like speaking multiple languages at home, like was a way for them to learn in schools. And so, um, this is, I think, a really important story because I think this shows like the power in our day-to-day lives in a place like California where we have a ballot. Like you could pass a ballot and it literally affects like an entire system of education, right? It literally affects like how city do, how a city does a hundred percent of what they do, right? It affects budget streams. So they are impactful and they don't really have the the checks that a state law would have like right the state law has to pass you know the assembly it has to pass um the the i was like senate <laughs> i was like what is that word then it has to pass the california senate and then it has to go to the governor's office to get signed and so there's all of those checks and balances where like a proposition like the process for it is literally like you have to apply and like submit a draft of the law or policy to the attorney general's office. You have to collect enough signatures on your petition. And then you have to take that petition, turn it into your county local office that handles that, verify that it's good. And then you literally submit it to the state and the state puts it on the ballot and then we vote on it, right? Like, it's like a very, you know, it's a hard process because there's like a lot of signatures, et cetera, but it's a very straightforward policy lawmaking process. Um, and I think it's important to know that, like, when we vote for props, like, it really, it's a, it's like a state law. It affects everyone in the state, and it's really, really important to make sure, like, we're really looking at the law and looking at the pros and cons that are in our booklet, and then deciding based on our values, like, do we want to live in a world where, like, that possible impact or that con, like, exists? Like, and so I think that's mm-hmm. kind of like a little bit of why I think it's important. I feel yeah. like Elvia, don't you feel like we gotta get more woke on what's happening in the, like our local neighborhood? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I mean for me, in terms of propositions, I feel like I just find the wording of them so confusing, and it's really hard to navigate just the language they use. And like, well, what does that mean? You know. Um, for for me, what I've found that's helped, like, just looking at other resources that help maybe explain what voting yes on something means and voting no on something. And I've used, you know, like, things like Ballotpedia or some voter guides, too, um, just to help with the language. Um, because I think it's really, I mean, imagine, like, thinking of think of my parents and just trying to read through these propositions and like what they mean is is it's hard for me and I can only imagine what it's like for them you know 
Yeah, I feel that. I think we don't do, you know, working with, you know, parents and a lot of my parents being um, fully Spanish speaking at the district, like we don't do a lot of, we don't do a really good job, I think, of making policy accessible. And I, part of my work now and where I work at a, a nonprofit is doing that exact process, um, is making it accessible to a lot of our community organizers who are doing this and, you know, the parents and the students and the teachers that they're working with. But I think you're right. I think, and I think that's purposeful. You know, I think that's mm-hmm. why it's important when, you know, our conversation about higher ed, that's why important, that's why it's important for us to get like Latinx people and um, black indigenous and other people of color into higher education, but particularly a, I think into fields that lend itself to policy like law, um, your MPA, your MPP, because that interpretation I think has to come from us for it to be fair and accurate and true because there's it's like kind of signing like a credit card contract right there's fine prints to it and we just have to read the fine prints and oftentimes it's so long to get there and so I think you know that's I think that's the important of representation in politics and in policy making in particular let's go into I mean we've I've been talking Diana has been talking about how we are such you know educational advocates and we but really believe it's like the catalyst of everything. Um, and you are currently running for a seat as a school board member. So what are some of the biggest issues facing the education system? And how can we uh, help fix those issues? What power do we hold? And um, as, you know, voting people, <laughs> how can we ensure that these changes are implemented? No, this is a great question. And um, so I, you know, outside of my role running for school board, I work as a director um, of strategic policy and organizing support um, for a national nonprofit. And what I do is I work every day with electeds, executive directors of like advocacy orgs and community organizers like across the nation to tackle some of like our most pressing educational inequity issues, right? I think right now in the United States with COVID, like and in this pandemic, like we are seeing that distance learning, we have like in distance learning, we have a digital divide problem. And when I say that, I mean like we have tech a tech access problem, like access to computers. And then in addition to access to computers, we have a broadband issue, right? We have families who can't afford to pay for broadband. We have programs being thrown by internet providers that don't provide speeds that are adequate enough for a whole family to get on. And so we're seeing students make choices between like their younger like siblings going to school or them going to school or their parents working on the computer or, you know, them going to school. And I think what we're seeing in terms of nationwide, a problem that is widely and deeply felt is the digital divide. Because if our inner, if our Wi-Fi is not working, like we're not working, our like st- kids are not going to schools, our teachers are not making their classes on time. So we're seeing a huge, I think, issue that is that is one of the biggest issues I think we're like we've felt nationwide. And this is rural areas, this is urban areas. So I think that's something for us to think about. And I think for particularly in California, what we're also seeing. Um, in terms of our curriculum is this push towards like true multicultural education. And when I say that, I mean like true bilingual education, true like class curriculum facing ethnic, like having ethnic studies as a high school graduation requirement. Like I think we're really seeing this push from the elect, from the people, the people power. And I think rightfully so considering that 
the majority of the students in the California school system are people of color. Um, and we're seeing this push to have us represented in curriculum, to have us represented in the stories and the classes that we tell and to have us represented truthfully and our narratives represented, I think, um, with fidelity at, at all levels of our schooling, elementary, middle, and I think high school. And then I think one other thing that, you know, I just always focus on because I was a math teacher um, is like, we're seeing STEM access, like we're seeing students not have it. We're seeing, you know, elementary science in particular not have the resources to do experiments with kids. Um, and so I think those are some of the biggest issues that I tend to see in California and nationwide um, and how to fix those. I think like to the second part of your question, like, uh, there's so many it's, it's hard because there's so many ways to get involved and yet um I think that you know when we have political systems that literally dissuade parents particularly in education from you know knocking at the doors and asking for what they need right like we don't we have we have electeds who don't pick up their phones we have um you know, systems that don't focus on our Black students and let our Black students, like, get left behind. Like, we have all these pinpoints where parents and families try to interact with us, and we just kind of shut the door. And I think, you know, that, at least in education, I've seen it, like, dissuade parents from being politically involved. Um, and and that's just disheartening. I think that's disheartening on so many mm -hmm. levels, because that's not um, putting people first that's not putting the needs of our families first which like we should be doing in our school system um, but I have some mm -hmm. like rough like concrete recommendations if you want to participate in your education system um yes okay girl, I want to hear them <laughs> yeah. I was just thinking that like I just want to mention this LV and I are single meaning like our mar marital status is single we don't have children um, and yet I know I can say this on behalf of both of us that no matter where we live or what we do, we would be big advocates if we needed to pay a little extra taxes to help our school systems and where we live, we would. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like we would still participate, even though clearly it doesn't affect us directly. Like we don't have kids going to that school. Right. Mm -hmm. Even if we live in that district or that area. And so that's what I like. I want us to how can we help? I guess that's why I, I always think about that. Like, you know, people are like, see, mija, you debes vivir because that's a good school district, right? <laughs> and I'm always like, even if we don't have kids, like, I still want to participate. Yeah, no, I think that's actually a great question. Like, I think we create clear panels, like channels for families to participate in our school system. But there are lots of us, like, I don't have kids. I have a sister, a 13-year-old sister in school, but I don't particularly have, like, a, a student of my own um, in our school systems. And I think there's still ways to get involved, right? Like, you could be a part of a local organizing group and you could be working mm -hmm. to help plan meetings for community members, holding space for people. Um, I worked on a fellowship where we realized in LA County, like the people who are going hungry in Los Angeles were undocumented people. And as, as a group of four people who had citizenship status, we were like, what do we do, right? And I think we went about that really interestingly. Like we held a meeting and we said, we worked with a local org and we said, hey, like, we want to talk about the experience of what it means to be hungry and undocumented in LA County. And we had like 11 people show up who were formerly undocumented or currently undocumented. And like that experience, because they were, you know, and I think this is particular to like that group of people that we talked to, but they were really scared 
to advocate um, and to reveal their, you know, their citizenship status. Like it was taking those stories to the supervisor's office and saying, hey, this is this community and we're building people power by bringing these people together, by creating space and literally just verbatim taking their testimonies up to you and like being good allies in that way and like taking cues from the people most impacted by this issue. Um, I think that's one way, like, and that's not, and we don't really give, I think ourselves like enough credit for that. I think another way to get involved in our schools in particular is like, you know, your neighbors are most likely parents or have people in our school system, like taking them to the meetings they need to be at, um, offering people rides if they don't have it, like offering, I think just being a good neighbor and offering to go to meetings just to like, if it, they're comfortable with it, obviously, like just to like sit in a parent-teacher conference and like be like a sort of support because those things are very scary a lot of the times for our community members, especially like our um, Spanish-speaking community members. Like it's a pretty intimidating experience, I think overall, <laughs> um, having been on like the teacher end and then the student end. But I think those are like some simple, like just being a good community member like tips that help increase the voice of parents in our school system and families in our school system. I think there's other ways to get involved, like being a substitute teacher when you can, um, you know, like help, like helping a school and just going to the principal and saying like, hey, I work at this org, you know, my org has like a funding match. Like, can I, can I keep your school in mind when we do something like this? Um, I think those are really yeah. concrete ways I think in terms of like being politically involved, like go to your local school board meetings, you would be surprised the number of people that do not attend, right? And if something is doesn't feel right um, for you or your community, like let your community members know, like especially in this age where like everything is online, like attend by Zoom, watch it on television, take notes for your neighbors, like um, make that policy piece accessible. I think meeting with your local school board member, you don't have to be a parent in the school system. You just have to be a voter, <laughs> like to meet with your school yeah. board member, like take 15 minutes and introduce yourself, um, request 15 minutes to introduce yourself um, and just get to know them and get to know like their priorities or their team. Like if you can't get with the elected, like take a member, like get coffee with a member of their team because you'll never know when you'll need to like advocate or like need to create those political channels for people. Um, and I think that's one thing. And in California, this process is open to all stakeholders um, for education. It's called the Local Control Action Plan. And it's LCAP for short, you'll hear it. But in California, in order for schools to get funding from the state government, what they have to do is create a plan where they engage stakeholders to identify where their school system is going to spend the money that they receive. So if you want to attend those those are open to all community stakeholders which include people who are you know who don't have kids in our school systems but I think those are really informative meetings because oftentimes um, in those meetings they'll reflect like the larger trends we're talking about when, when it comes to representation and who's actually in the room so I think like my best advice is like you would you would not believe how few people come to these meetings and that you know good first step to start is just attending them and making your self-known and making your story known because you know you have you have a stake in your school system especially that educates a large amount of students that you identify with mm -hmm. 
girl, this is, I just feel so woke. Like, oh my God. I need to be a good neighbor, first of all. Yeah. <laughs> like, nobody all, wants to be a shitty neighbor. I know. I was like, I need to, I should ask my neighbors. They have three kids. I've heard them. Yeah. And I need I to take know. them to those meetings. <laughs> but but I'm not surprised people don't show up. And, and this is, goes back to my points because we're so uninformed and unencouraged. And I yeah. think that we're not empowered to be like, oh, there's this thing called these board meetings that you can go to or LCAP meetings or whatever they are. And you can actually talk to them about your concerns. I just think we do, like, I didn't even know about this. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I'm saying this as a non-parent. And I yeah. and I feel encouraged to go because I do think that education is so important wherever I live, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Working at the district, like, it was cool to do parent organizing um, with our school board district because you saw the difference in parents by the end of it. Like, they, by the end of it, like, our, like, like our senoras were like, you know, this is my school. <laughs> and mm-hmm. like, I'm an organizing group, right? They had this new sense of empowerment. And that was always my favorite part to see like, just people doing what they do best, which is like bringing their ideas to the table and like crafting things out with other people. And then like seeing that plan, like be accepted by our local superintendents. Like I think that part of the democratic process is super empowering. Um, and it's unfortunate that you know, that model in our in LAUSD is, I think, one of the only models in the nation for community, like, community participatory, like, government. It's, like, a specific model of democracy. Um, and that was, like, a program being ran. It's, it, it's not ran in any board district right now, um, like, in LAUSD. But I think, you know, you're, that's why electeds are important, because you have to have an elected that wants to have that connecting piece, which is, like, goes back to you know, when you vote, regardless of your political party, you're voting for certain characteristics. One of them is like, you know, when you think about it, like, is this elected reaching out to people? Are they calling people? Are they walking the streets? Are they sending mail? Are they wanting to get in touch with people? Like, that's a clear, like, if your elected is not doing anything, when they're running a campaign, that is what they're going to be like as an elected. (laughs) They're going to be the bare minimum. Um, and I, I think it goes mm-hmm. back, you know, some things like, I think sometimes as a citizen, we're super hard on ourselves. But like, like you said, sometimes the political process is hard for a reason because people don't want people to participate in it. Right. It's designed that yeah. way. And I'm saying that in this election. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, you know, I, oh, go ahead, girl. No, I was just going to say I wholeheartedly believe that too. That was it. <laughs> Danielle, this is a good segue into you running, which Alvi and I are bow down, girl. We think it's so freaking admirable. Honestly, we think it's like so chingona of you. And we as Latinas rally behind you and, and just like feel proud yeah. uh, to see somebody like us who lived like us, who grew up like us running for, for an elected role. I would love for you to talk about being a candidate running for Redlands Unified School District. Um, I would love to learn more on what it takes to run. Uh, What are your tips for young Latinas who are interested in potentially running? And why do you think it's important we have a seat at the table? Such good questions. I would say this election has me leveling up on all levels. (laughs) Like running election yeah. is hard, and I, you know, I was. Like, I think me and Elvie about to run. <laughs> you should. <laughs> That's my number one advice. 
Let's do it. Like, I don't, I don't know about that. I I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm like, just, just close kidding. your eyes and do it. Like, that's the only thing. That's my only <laughs> advice. Um, I'm more going to run out of this house. <laughs> that's what I'm going to do. Uh, I'm about to run out of this country if we get, you know. Exactly. Know. I'm low-key. I've been looking on how to get my Ecuadorian citizenship. <laughs> I'm not lying. I looked it up. I have looked it up how to do it. I know how to go through the process if need be. Well, we can look at campaign laws in Ecuador. No worries. <laughs> yes. Um, no, I love this question. I think something I would have loved knowing about running is, is more of the political establishment piece. And like, I'm glad I threw my hat in the ring because I truly believe that you know, the citizens of my board district need a board member that takes their calls. Like, I'm like talking bare, bare minimum stuff, right? Who like listens to the problems that they're having in our schools and who genuinely makes an attempt to resolve those problems. Like I think that um, for so long in California, we saw at large elections, which meant that a bunch of candidates would run, there'd be four seats and the top four candidates would get those seats, but it would be everyone in the district um, in your city that would vote for, you know, these candidates. And I think there's a problem too, like there's, when running an election, like that's kind of a problem because instead of focusing on like 15,000 people, you're focusing on 100,000 people. And I think for candidates of color, that's a problem because often we're underfunded um, you know, we have people power, but we might not have the money to buy the fancy data that we need, um, the, the machines that make a campaign run smoother. And so, and then like outreach, like outreach is like a huge thing. It costs money to print things. And then on the like other side of it is like, things are super expensive, like kind of like a wedding. Like that's what campaign mailers are like, <laughs> like people just mark up stuff because it's a campaign. Um, and so I think you know, if you're really considering running one, I think you should just do it because I think what I've seen is that, you know, just putting my hat in the in the race, like I've talked to way more electeds from the Illinois Empire than I've ever talked to in my life. Like, And my family's been out here for five generations. Like, you know, like, I think that's important. I think having access and that capital to like these electeds is important. People remember you. Um, I think to learn about what it takes to run, like there's a lot of really great programs like um, Ready to Run or Emerge California or Hope. Um, and so all of these programs are geared towards women running. And I think those are those are good programs because what I've found running is like, it's, it's really lonely. <laughs> like if you're doing it and you don't have people that kind of understand, you know, how people how to like just even like the random parts of the election like text banking is like a whole thing <laughs> and like people are as bold as they are on Facebook comments um like it's <laughs> it's been like that's funny. it's been like you know you just like need somebody to like cry with and so I've been really fortunate we call ourselves a fab five but it's like five Latinas running for school board here in in Southern California and we have like a text thread and literally, if I have a question, I just text them or if I have like a bad day, like I'll be like, hey, I need like a gift. Um, but it's nice to have that support. And I think that, you know, if you're going to run, run with friends at the same time. So you guys should really consider running the same year. Um, yeah. And I think, like, <laughs> you know, I, I think you have to go into this blind. It's like all good things. Like if you knew 
what you were getting yourself into beforehand you wouldn't do it but that's not a reason not to do it like you just got to go for it and all the rest will yeah. will fall into place like people will come out of the woodwork and be like let me help you and I think that's like been a really good lesson that's a roundabout way to say like run with your friends and like you just got to trust the process yeah hey girl we gotta run you England, me long beach we yeah do it no. we need you uh, i don't know i don't know <laughs> yeah i don't know if i could do that but um i i commend you like one of the things i was telling the end i was like think about all the things you have to deal with <laughs> like I just can't even imagine but oh it's yeah, wild <laughs> I think with election coming up and I think about people you know in my surrounding community like as, such as family and um, maybe even some friends um, who you know maybe feel a certain way about voting and um they what what advice do you have for people that have somebody in their circle that does not want to vote and they say they're not going to vote in the 2020 election what kinds of things can we do or say to that help to that person to help change their mind to execute their right to vote and to use their voice Oh, great, great question. Um, my grandma, like, bless her soul, didn't vote until 2016 because, and the only reason she voted was because there was a woman presidential candidate, Hillary Clinton. Like, she spent yeah. 60 plus years of her life disenfranchised. And I and I had no idea. Like, I was in high school. I was like, we got to vote. Like, she didn't even vote for, like, the Barack Obama election, which I thought was a historic one. Um, yeah. Like, and I think, you know, I think my grandma's story kind of illustrated to me, like, that people get into politics the moment they feel represented in some way. And I think that's important to keep in mind that a lot of people who have voter apathy, like, either, like, we kind of touched on this before, like, politics it can be really confusing. Or, you know, mm-hmm. like, they feel, dis- they feel disengaged in some way. And so when I have family members or friends who are like, I'm not going to vote, my first question I always ask is like, well, why is that? Right. And it's like, Mm -hmm. and they might give me a reason. And then I literally ask why five times. And I think when you get to the root cause of something, then you can really understand, like, is this someone that I can, I can help get to, to the the polls on it by November 3rd. Right. Um, and I think, like, if you have reasons, like, you know, the process is confusing, that's solvable. If you have reasons, like, you know, I'm not really excited by the candidates, like, I think that's solvable, right? Because you can then work with people and be like, hey, come with me to phone bank for this candidate. Like, come with me to, like, work through this candidate. Because I think um, a, a campaign is actually really ins- exciting on the inside. And I think the more people participate on the inside, the more they're likely to then be engaged in the voting process because they have kind of a stake in it now. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think like with anything, like we have to be respectful of, you know, where people are at in their, in their citizenship process. And like, I think it's not easy to be disenfranchised for so long. And then as a community, like, especially like the Latino community, like our right to vote, our, you know, everything has been such a, such a battle. And even like, accessing higher education like 
our first round of Latino students didn't like, for instance, get access to Yale until like 1969. Like that's less than like 40 years ago. Um, and so I think, Damn, that's isn't crazy. that crazy? And like, this is like, our community has been, I think our communities in particular have been excluded from the political process more often than we've been included. So I always like to give just a little grace and respect. You know, once I get to the core reason of I, if it's a reason that I think I can't, I can't move a heart in mind, just to respect that, you know, being, going from disenfranchised to enfranchised is like a hard process. And it's, you know, it's one that takes, like my grandma, potentially like 60 plus years before, or I mean like 50 years to be eligible, because she was eligible at 18, but like 50 plus years to vote, you know? And I think, um, I think, you know, just getting people where they're at and like, obviously politics is not as good as keeping up with the Kardashians, but I mean, it doesn't have, it, it can be, but you know, like I think respecting that process and then um, whenever possible, like taking people along for that ride with them. I think, you know, like you were talking about hosting, hosting voting parties and talking students through and like, you know, doing, you know, just making the process a little more communal. I think we think about voting as like, it's just me, but the matter of the fact is most things people do, like they vote like their friends, right? Like they vote mm-hmm. based off of, if we touch, if a campaign like talks to them, like people will vote for a candidate just because they reached out to them. Um, and so I think mm-hmm. we don't realize how relate how relationships really guide our electoral process. And that is why like, I think voting is the same way. Like we do things in relation. I will take you to the voting polls. <laughs> like. I will sit here and fill out this ballot, but like, you know, I think some people just need a little extra community in order to do that. So that's my recommendation slash that's the things I do for my family, like if they need it. Um, and I think it, it, I think it makes us all better citizens, right? Like we're really doing our part, really putting in the work, so. Yeah, totally. Ah. What a great way to finish out this podcast. Yes, (laughs) yes, and yes. I really love that you have to respect the fact that a lot of us, you know, came from um, times where we didn't really quite understand it, are still not quite understanding, always felt, what is the word, you know, not encouraged or not a part of the process or, um, and, and I think that we have a difficulty wanting to participate in something we don't feel included and we always have felt excluded. Mm -hmm. I love that. I wanted to just say, girl, politics has as much cheese as the freaking Kardashian. Yeah, we just got to be on the inside. (laughs) We got to be on the inside just like that fly was on Mike Pence's Yes, you do. And you can get on the inside. You just got to show up to the meetings. (laughs) 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 all right girl well you know what this has been such an amazing insightful wonderful hands down one of the best conversations i think elvie and i have had in our podcast we want to thank you so so much for coming on for spending this time and this evening with us sharing all the knowledge when it comes to politics and the importance in voting both from the national level to the local level where can people find you follow you and how can we support you in your candidacy for school board? Absolutely. So you can find more information about the campaign at um, www.danielleforredlandschools.com. You can follow us at Instagram at Danielle for Redland Schools. Um, and then you can follow me on Twitter at, I was like, underscore Danny Guillen. Um, and, you know, yeah, just 
if send us a DM on any of those platforms. Um, we have a sign up form on the website if you want a phone bank or text bank. Um, like there's always looking. We're always looking for people to get involved, and we only have oh my goodness, twenty five days, twenty five ish days to when uh, November third comes through. So we're in the we're in the last sprint. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for sharing all that information, and everybody. If you haven't registered to vote, if it hasn't been drilled down your your throat, you know, that you should register to vote. Please register to vote. Exercise that right. Um, please don't forget to, you know, follow us, subscribe to our podcast, rate us, review us, follow us on Instagram, all the things. And we will definitely catch you at the next one. Bye. 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 Thank you. Thank you. Thank Bye. You.